Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Gary Chevalier. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy 4th of July-ish, because it always feels weird to me to say happy 4th of July on a Sunday when the 4th of July is so far away. I mean, I haven't even bought my stuff to grill burgers yet, right? So it just feels kind of weird to say happy 4th of July, but... It is our Sunday before 4th of July, so like I said before, happy 4th of July. And today we are starting a brand new series called, hey, the book of James, Lessons from My Big Brother Jesus. And look, I am super excited about this series because have you ever wondered what it would be like if Jesus was your big brother? I mean, if you had to live in a house with Jesus, so now scripture tells us that we know of at least six other kids that Mary and Joseph had. There were four boys and two girls. There may have been more, but we know for sure that Scripture references those six. And so those six grew up in a household with an older brother who was perfect. I mean, think about what that would have been like for a minute. Like, Mary and Joseph walk in. Somebody broke Grandpa Jacob's rocking chair that he made with his own two hands. wasn't Jesus. And heaven help you if you're the one that broke it and Jesus saw you because you can't blackmail him. You can't bribe him to lie, right? So you're sold out at that point. I guarantee you Joseph never turned around and said, if you don't settle down, I'm going to turn this donkey around and we're going home. That never happened. And you know, you know in moments of exasperation, Mary looked at the other kids and said, why can't you just be more like Jesus? I mean, that's a lot of pressure to live under, right? Oh, my goodness. But um, James and his family, you know, we like to think that we, we picture Mary and the baby and the manger and all that. But James and his family didn't always believe that Jesus was the Son of God. That may shock you for a moment, but they didn't. As a matter of fact, when Jesus first started teaching publicly, okay, He was in a couple towns away, and a large crowd gathered, and he was teaching, and somehow word made it back to Mary and the family, and they left their town, went to where Jesus was. The Bible says to take charge of him because they thought he had lost his mind. Look it up. It's in Mark chapter 3. Go read that. Oh, my goodness. So they didn't always believe that Jesus was the Son of God, so they had to grow up with this tension of Jesus being sinless and perfect, but yet he's still, you know, my brother. And, and I mean, let's be honest. Before we give Mary and, and the other kids a hard time, think about what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was the Son of God, the Messiah, the one about the Scriptures that you have studied all your life, that those Scriptures predict him. I mean, I've got an older brother, and he's a pretty good guy, but son of God status, he is not. (laughs) So there's a little bit of grace that's got to go with the family, but I'm here to tell you, as they watched Jesus live, they watched him grow up, and they watched him turn into the man that he became, and you know what? They started to get that, and I would be willing to bet that as they saw Jesus live out who he was in his older years that they started to remember some of the things that Jesus did when they were younger, and they started to go, oh, yeah, that that makes sense. He really is who he says he is. And as a matter of fact, two 
of Jesus' siblings, Jude and James, ended up writing books of the Bible that we use as Scripture. And James, who we're talking about today, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem for many years. And Jerusalem was the center of Jewish life, remember. And James became the leader of that church. And as a matter of fact, he wrote a letter that we call the book of James in that capacity. And he wrote it to all of the Jewish people around everywhere on instructing them how to be a Christ follower. What does it mean to live your life like a Christian? So look, there is so much in the book of James, we are not going to be able to get to it over these next five weeks. I want to encourage you guys, read the book of James. If you ever wanted to know what it means to follow Christ and how you should act and live, read the book of James. And look, it's going to be so easy. We have five weeks in this series. There are five chapters in the book of James, just read one chapter a week. Really, you could read the same chapter every day. It would so infiltrate who you are and start to shape how you live. So I want to encourage you, five Sundays, five chapters. Today, we're going to start in chapter one. That's a good place to start. And in it, James answers one of the biggest most practical questions and challenges, really, about being a Christ follower, and that's what happens when life gets hard? What happens when, as a Christ follower, your life gets hard and difficult? James chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance Finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I think it's probably safe to say that most of us, when we choose to follow Christ, most of us do it because we realize that our life is messed up, and Jesus offers forgiveness and restoration, and that path is better than the path we're on. And so we choose to follow Christ because of that. And I think that most of us kind of expect that when I start to follow Jesus, that my life is good. And like, there's not problems awaiting me down the road. And honestly, that would make a lot of sense. If I was God, I'd have totally set it up that way. Like, you go your own way, it's going to stink. But if you follow Jesus, man, life is bliss. How many people would follow Christ if that was the promise? That would be so good. I would have done it that way, but that's not what God did. In fact, when you choose to follow Jesus, actually, you're signing up for more problems. Because when you're not following Christ, you're off on doing your own thing. You're destroying yourself. The evil one sees that, and he's like, man, have at it. You're all good. But when you choose to follow Christ, and you make that commitment to say, I'm going to live for Jesus, you put yourself on the evil one's radar as a target. And he begins to work in your life to destroy you. Because you're no longer doing it yourself. You become a child of God. And so you become someone that he is actively targeting. And if you do not learn how to work your way through these trials with a godly perspective, you are doomed to fail over and over and over. And life will beat you into submission until you're ready to die or you walk away. But... If you will follow James's process for persevering through trials, you will ace the test any time a trial comes your way. And the first step of the process is this. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 2. It's the first thing he says. 
It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, take your pen real quick, if you will. And ser- Well, actually, yeah. Your first villain is choose joy. <laughs> Missed that. Take your pen. First villain is choose joy. Then take your pen and circle the word consider. Choose joy, circle the word consider. Because here's the thing about the word consider. Consider is an action word. It's a verb. It is something that we can do. And the best part about that is it tells us that joy is a choice and we can make it. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. No matter your circumstance, no matter your employment status, no matter your relationship status, no matter how many likes your Instagram post got, no matter how rebellious your teenager is being, no matter how unfair your parents are being, you can always choose joy in every trial, in every circumstance. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, you know, look, I'd choose joy if my ex would just be kind and stop making my life miserable at every moment. No, no, no. Choose joy. Well, I could choose joy if I didn't have this pain in my knee. Like, I got to walk a lot with my job. My Fitbit says like 10,000 steps a day. That's a lot of pain. If I didn't have that, I could choose joy. No, no, no. Scripture says choose joy. Consider it joy when you face trials of all kinds. So I believe James knew that that is the key to persevering through trials because he watched Jesus do it his whole life growing up. So we know from Scripture that Joseph died at some point uh, early on. Scholars, most scholars think Jesus was probably in the 10 to 12 range that when Jesus died. So that left Mary a single mom with at least seven kids. And remember back in that society, a mom without a husband, that made life really difficult. And we know from Scripture that they lived in the town of Nazareth, which was a very economically depressed area. It was not well thought of in the Jewish community, so it is safe to say that they grew up really poor. And we know that Jesus was trained in carpentry by Joseph, so more than likely, Jesus, as the oldest son, when Joseph passed away, Jesus started to go look for whatever carpentry jobs he could find, and he took on responsibility for the family when he was very young because Joseph had passed away. James, was able to see Jesus handle all of those trials with grace and with love and with joy. He watched Jesus do it. So now when he's writing to Jews everywhere, telling them how to be a Christ follower, the first thing he says is you have got to choose joy no matter the circumstances. And he knows it because he lived it and he watched Jesus live it. Now, I have shared with you guys in the past that I am naturally a cynic. Like, when I go anywhere, I do anything, I see life as it should be, and then here's what is. And so every flaw, every imperfection, everything that ought not be, I immediately notice it. I can't help it. I walk into a room, I can tell you the chairs that are out of place, I can tell you which pictures are hanging askew, I can tell you if you have a stain on the carpet or something's wrong in the ceiling. 
It's natural. It just happens. And right now, there's a lot of you thinking, I ain't ever inviting that dude to my house. <laughs> Let me assure you, I see it in my own house too. Um, I, I just, it happens. There's nothing I can do about it. I, it's, whether it's a movie, it's a vacation, whatever experience it is, I just, I naturally see the flaws. And if I don't take those thoughts captive, and if I don't choose not to dwell on them, it begins to affect my mood, <clears throat> it affects my demeanor, it affects the look on my face. Now, conversely, my wife is a very positive person. She's always happy. And Andrea will look at me and say, Gary, do you ever enjoy anything? And the answer is yes, yes I do. But it's a discipline to be able to not focus on the stuff that's wrong, to focus on the stuff that's right. And I know that some of you in this room are going to be like me. So I want to thank you, brother. So I want to teach you something that I have learned through the years that my wife helped teach me, and hopefully it will help you as you move forward. And that's this, is that you, there is always something that you can complain about. Always. There is always something you can be joyful about. Choose joy. Those two things are always there. Choose joy. All right, your second fill-in, the second step in handling trials is this, is get grit. Get grit. Now, the word grit actually is making a comeback. Uh, it's, it was popular a while back, now many of you guys, some of you old timers, will remember uh, John Wayne being Rooster and Cogburn in True Grit. You guys remember that? Yeah. Now they did a remake of that movie a few years back and it was Matt Damon and Jeff Bridges and you know, it was pretty good, but I, I gotta be honest, you can't mess with the Duke, right? True Grit. That is the definition of, of grit. Now if you haven't seen any of that, you're wondering, Okay, grit, what? So grit is basically, it's the concept of if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Grit is, the, is no matter what comes at me, I'm going to keep going towards my goal. Grit is this happens, that happens, that happens. I'm not going to be dissuaded. I'm going for what I need. And you hear grit a lot these days in educational circles. It's kind of started to make its way into church world but you hear it a lot in educational circles because our children are lacking grit. They are lacking that drive that whenever something goes wrong, I work through it. You know, they grow up with video games now that they just, if there's a video game they can't conquer, they just go get the cheat code. And that's the way they think. There's not a, I'm going to work at this until it happens. Grit is a very important thing in, in their lives, and James knew that. And James called it by another word, which he says in verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That's grit. Perseverance. Continuing on, no matter what, persevering. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith, so these trials, we can consider them joy, not because they're joyful, but because we know they produce perseverance. The end result, we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. So think with me again with James, with Jesus as his big brother, okay? So Jesus, we know, never sinned, but it doesn't mean he never made a mistake. 
Because making a mistake is, we're humans. We make mistakes. It's a natural part of the learning process. So imagine, imagine little James watching older brother Jesus learn to be a carpenter. And maybe the first chair that he ever made, he presents it proudly to Joseph, and Joseph sits in it, and the chair splinters, and he falls to the ground. And they have a big laugh. <laughs> and Jesus tries again. He perseveres through that. Um, imagine after Joseph is, is dead, Jesus is searching for carpentry jobs, and everywhere he goes, he's asking, do you need some help? And they say, oh, I'm sorry, son. I need someone with more experience. And Jesus, knowing that his family needs any work he can get, perseveres and perseveres. And he places his trust in God to provide for their needs. And so he endures every trial with joy. And little brother James, he watched this the whole of the time. Because, see, the testing of our faith is necessary to produce the perseverance. It is necessary for us to struggle. It's necessary for us to get knocked down, to cry out to God, to ask for help, and to see God come to our rescue time after time after time. Because God knows the more that we struggle, the more that we persevere, the more that we see him show up in times of need, the stronger our faith will be. The more perseverance we have, the more grit we have, the more faith that God will rescue when the next trial comes. Get grit. Get perseverance. And number three, the third step. Trust the process. Trust the process. So if you've ever worked with a coach or a personal trainer in recent years, you have probably heard this phrase, trust the process. Um, Our hometown Houston Astros employed that process Back in 2012, they were a horrible team. They were the worst team in baseball. And the management got together and said, you know what? We're going to forego the short term to build a championship team for the future. And that's the process they put in place, and that's what they started to do. The very next year in 2013, they had 70 wins and 92 losses. It's a deplorable win-loss ratio. They were definitively the worst team in baseball. The fans hated it. The sports talk radio guys blasted the management of the Astros. But the Astros stayed the course through 2013. 2014 rolls around, and and they start to see some change, and they start to see some improvement. How many of you guys remember this Sports Illustrated magazine covers that started floating around in 2017? Here on the left, in the old rainbow jerseys, you see in 2014, they predicted the 2017 World Series champions. And guess what? In 2017, they were the World Series champs. They trusted the process. They didn't waver. If they'd have bailed out of that process, that second cover would have never been possible. If they'd have listened to all the naysayers, to all the sports talk radio guys, to everybody blasting them because in 2013, their season was so bad, that second cover That world championship would have never been possible. Trust the process because it's pretty clear that the process worked. James also knows that. Chapter 1, verse 4. He says, let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, underline, let perseverance finish its work. Take your pen, underline that phrase. 
Because if you're a type A kind of person, that may be the hardest part of this for you, is letting perseverance finish its work. Because type A people, we're doers. I want to fix this. Give me something to do. Let me go over here. Let me employ this. Let me read this book. Let me this. Everything that we've ever said and read tells us to do. James says, let perseverance finish its work. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to high school camp with our student ministry here at Parkway Fellowship, which, if I may take just a moment to say, I love your children. They were so much fun, such good young men and women. I got to be with the, the ninth grade boys. We had a great time. We had some real fun. We had some time of just kind of talking and, and hearing about their world and what they're in for and what they're, what they're scared about. And we all learned together about unity in the body of Christ. And at that age, unity is tough. They're great. Your student ministry is great. If you ever have an opportunity to go on a student ministry trip, I want to encourage you to do that. You will be so encouraged about our future by hanging out with those guys. So in that process, I met a young man named Sam, and he shared with me that he was really upset and frustrated because it seems like every trip he goes on, he never gets put with people that he knows, and he wanted to know if there was anything I could do about it. Um, so I happen to know that the student ministry leaders had already said, if anyone asks you to change rooms, the answer is no. So I couldn't offer him that. I couldn't even say, well, let me go ask. I'll see what I can do because I already knew the answer. So I challenged him. I said, you know what? I said, I know it's tough when you get put in a room with a bunch of people you don't know. But I want to encourage you with this. If you see this consistently happening to you, ask God what he wants to teach you. Ask God what he's trying to grow in you and he's trying for you to learn because this seems to keep happening. So our conversation ended and honestly, I didn't expect him to take that advice. You give a lot of advice and teenagers, as a general rule, don't always listen. But as it turns out, he did and he employed that advice and he came back to me by the end of the week and he said, you know, I think I figured out what God is trying to teach me. See, if I'm always with my friends, I'm not going to meet anybody new. But I really think God was telling me that if we're going to create unity in our youth group, in our student ministry, then I need to be able to get to know new people. It's like, man, that, that's awesome. Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. <laughs> oh, but you know what? Had Sam not listened to the Lord, had he not sought God's guidance on that, had he just pouted? Because this stinks and it's happening to me again, he would have missed out on that lesson. He would have missed out on that blessing. If he not hung in there and trusted the process, it wouldn't have happened. So for you, the next time you're in a challenging situation, instead of looking for a quick exit, will you do that? Will you ask God what he wants to accomplish in you through that trial? Because listen, the number one reason we fail in trials is because we don't trust the process and we bail far too quickly. It takes too long. It hurts. It's really uncomfortable. I don't like it. So what is our prayer? God, get me out of this. God, fix it. God, change it. God, remove me from this. But think about it. When Jesus was on the cross, 
he never once asked God to take him down. Now, before it happened, he said, God, if you can accomplish your purposes any other way, please do it. But not your will, not my will, but yours. But on that cross, in the middle of it, he never once asked to come down. They taunted him to come down, and he didn't. He trusted the process. He knew God's plan, and he endured the pain. He endured the humiliation, all of it, so that he could utter those final words, which is, it is finished. Let perseverance finish its work in you. So if you choose joy, you get grit, you trust the process, that brings you to number four, which is receive your reward. Receive your reward. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, Jesus said something strikingly similar to that early on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. He said this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. James obviously knew this. Look at those two verses together. So, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. James said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. James says that person will receive the crown of life. It's obvious that James knew what Jesus had said and what Jesus had taught. And he was giving a shout out to his big brother in how he said that and how he phrased that. And he knew that. Here's an important caveat to that, though. When he says they will receive the crown of life, those who love him, this promise applies to those who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. And in this room today, listening on the Internet today, listening on your mobile app today, wherever you are, you can choose to follow Christ if you have not. At the bottom of your message notes, on the back, there is a sample prayer that you can pray that will lead you down the path to begin a relationship with Jesus, to receive forgiveness for the wrong things that you have done in your life in the past, and to move forward with grace and forgiveness. And from then on, to have Jesus as a source of strength for every trial that you have that's coming up in your future. I want to encourage you to do that today. So, as we close right now, I realize that in theory, all of this sounds super easy. Choose joy. Got it. Okay. Get grit. All over it. Trust the process. I'm there. Give me the reward. But in reality, we know it's not quite that easy. Trials are hard. Pain is real. Struggle is difficult. And listen, some of you are in a place right now where you are in a really deep, deep spot of hurt. You're in a struggle that is so oppressive that you just don't see a way out. Some of you may be ready to just be done with the whole God thing. Some of you may be ready to just be done and walk away from everything. 
Look, I want to encourage you right now. If you are in that place, talk to someone. Go see a Christian counselor. Not just any counselor, but see a Christian counselor that will give you tools from Scripture. They're there to help. They're there to give you guidance. They're there to be used by the Lord. Talk to a close friend. Use someone in your small group that you really connect with and share where you are. You heard Pastor Mike last week talk about how their relationships and their life got so much easier and better when they just opened up and shared. And I want to encourage you, whether it's a close friend, a small group, whatever it is, a Christian counselor, don't go through this alone. Don't struggle under trials alone. Do it together because God loves you. God has a plan for you, and God has enabled you and empowered you to choose joy in every circumstance, to develop perseverance, and that perseverance will finish its work in you and make you mature and complete. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app, for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.